0: (laughs) Hi, I'm Alon Altman And I'm Dave Jeskow And this is Billy Joel A to Z
1: Welcome back to another quality episode of Billy Joel A to Z, as today we discuss the one of three songs not to be released off of Stormfront, entitled State of Grace. Billy's 11th studio album came out on October 17th, 1989, and State of Grace is the third song on side two, or the eighth song off of the CD. And like Billy in his Forrest Gump character says about the song Souvenir. That's all I have to say about that. I mean, seriously, Alan, there's nothing else to say. This song, truly, again, is erased from existence. <laughs> it, is, it appears nowhere else. So what does that tell us as we just go right into the rankings? What do you think Christopher Mananos is going to put a song nobody seems to remember except for some reason, Dave Juskow, and I'll explain why later, Alan Altman. Your thoughts.
0: I don't think it's a terrible song, really. Uh, I think he'll probably put it around 82. Oh, you're way off.
1: He has this at 112. (whistles) He says, after more than a few listenings in the past month, not a single lyric from this song stuck with me. Literally forgettable. Glenn Gamboa uh, likes it a little more. He put it at 61. And it's a lot more. He likes it a lot more. Yeah. And I'm going to tell you what he wrote. Joel doesn't get an Joel doesn't get enough credit for writing timeless pop like this that could become a hit for pretty much any singer in almost any era. Kelly Clarkson, your next hit is right here, or maybe you want it, Luke Bryan. What the heck is that? <laughs> well, I I kind of agree with all that. I mean, I just I think it is a pop hit, but uh, the, the fans rank it at 120. Wow, fans out of 121. The song that's lower than that. Nobody Knows But Me. And I like Nobody Knows But Me. What's with these fans? Well, you're an idiot about that. We
0: can't blink and not on that. We're
1: God damn it. You're always going to get me with that one. <laughs> well, I will tell you, Alon, I was actually looking forward to doing this song, not because I liked it, just because this song has been in my head. It's one of those Billy Joel songs. That has been in my head for so, so long since 1989, wherever I am sometimes, whether it be the shower, whether it's just walking around, I sometimes just go, there you are. I don't even know what the little bit. <laughs> it's a state of grace. Bump bum. And that's that's all I know. And that's all I do. Like, I did not even know the lyrics. That's what when Christopher Manos was saying that, I'm like, yeah, there's not one memorable lyric in yeah. that I can remember. Uh And then. When I reheard it, I'm like, but I remember not liking the song, but just it it made such an impact for some who knows what reason. Obviously, the time period where it came out in 1989, I was listening to that album over and over, and I didn't hate this song. But now, re-listening to this song, I almost was going to put it on the Hidden Gems because I like it. But why wouldn't I like it? It is a power ballad, technically. Mm -hmm. It is an 80s song. It is not a timeless classic. This is clearly from 1989. It's very obvious, let alone being produced by Mick Jones, who was the king of the 80s and all the music I like. So in that sense, I really did kind of enjoy listening to this song again. There's so many things I liked about it. But boy, was this just that one part was in my head. It's always going to be in my head. This is the one I remember besides We Didn't Start the Fire from this album. It's this song and We Didn't Start the Fire.
0: Yeah, there's something about this song that is kind of catchy. It's like Billy says, it takes like a left turn, it has a chord progression that you don't expect. And it kind of like each verse sort of like goes this way, then comes back and gets you right back to the beginning of the next verse. And it just kind of has this weird like circular effect where you're just always ready to keep moving on from one verse to the next, from the here you are to the there you go. And all of a sudden you're like into it and it's in your head. But you're right. It's very 80s sounding. I think if they had different instrumentation, this could be kind of a timeless classic or a single like Glenn Gamboa was saying. They
1: wouldn't have different instrumentation because it was the 80s, you know, produced the guy bought in a producer from the 80s, you know, uh, in the sense of, geez, uh, that uh, Foreigner album with uh, I Want to Know What Love Is and That was yesterday, and the other stuff he's produced. I mean, you know, he, he, they, they let him do the '80s guitar solo in this thing. They did not use Dave Brown; they let Mick Jones does the guitar solo, which is completely an '80s guitar solo, unlike any Billy Joel song we've ever heard.
0: I love it. I love Mick Jones's guitar solo in this because it's real concise, but it it gets to the point, and it sounds so yeah, it sounds like Foreigner, so it's pretty cool.
1: I mean this is the guy that was that did my one of my favorite 80s albums 5150 Van Halen and he produced Dreams that you know I mean he produced the whole album but, but you know that song Dreams one of my favorites and uh, you know it's just he, he was a really good 80s producer and that is where it ended. <laughs> and so he did the 1989 and then he was never heard from again. <laughs>
0: Well, he went back with Foreigner. He was touring with them. I saw him live in well, of 2010 or something.
1: But I'm just saying, I think, you know, he he was an 80s producer. He produced 80s songs. And, you know, there's no foreigner songs that anybody remembers from the 90s. Is my Definitely point. not. You know, we like we said, we always talk about Billy Joel is truly timeless. All his songs, it could be from anything. It's very like, much like a Woody Allen movie. You know, Hannah and her sisters is from 1986. It doesn't feel like an 80s movie. You know, I mean. This is the same thing, except for this song, except for a couple. There was another one off this uh, album, right? That we said was, or maybe not this album, but. Well, definitely things like From the Bridge also, Modern Woman. Right, right, right. That's right. The other one from The Bridge also. Running on Ice. Yes, right. I mean, you can't blame Billy Joel for during that time writing songs like this. I mean, he just, that's the way if you wanted hits that's the way they're written that's why it's fascinating that every song was released on this album except for this one which is so funny because this is the one that makes the most sense to release during that time
0: yeah i wonder if they gave it a shot if it actually would have kind of caught on and charted pretty well cuz why not it's actually not a bad song it is catchy like we said it sounds like it's from the time
1: but i guess that's why people don't like it you know in the in in the rankings and the fans and stuff like that because it is not It's not a normal Billy Joel song. It's not a Billy Joel song. It's very much like running on ice, like you're just saying, like, and people don't seem to remember or like that. I mean, I do, because this is this is my unfortunate wheelhouse. I grew up in the 80s, and I like songs from the 80s. (laughs) So I like this song.
0: I would love to hear, like, if Billy had like a piano version, just like a real stripped down. Kind of de- almost like the demo of this. What it would have been like without all the '80s things. Like the drums are too front and center. The vocals sound like live and echoey, like it's in some big arena. Without all that and the backing vocals, like I think there's something here to this song. I would like that too. But there is, man, there's nothing on this song.
1: There's no demo. There's not even any live versions. I mean, there's. Yeah. No, oh well. Do, do you want to <laughs> go right to the stats? I mean, tell me because I mean, I was looking because I was looking. Like, let me hear another example
0: of the song. There's nothing. There's nothing out there, right? Yeah. We have audio of one live version from 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 Rosemont, Illinois. Yeah. It's like just bad audio. Rosemont, Illinois, April 1990. And that is the only time he ever played this live. That's it. Shut up. Yeah. Just really. And I thought it was a pretty good live version. Like it actually sounds pretty good, except at the end, Billy has trouble in that outro where he has to get higher with his vocals. He misses a note kind of bad. And then Crystal takes over the whole outro. Oh, and she sounds good. But I wonder if it was like Billy was like, I don't have it.
1: You do it. Wow. oh, that's Well, that certainly could have been a reason, although it seems like we said in the Souvenir song that in 2000, that's where he started transposing. So in 1990, to not hit some of those notes, again, thanks to Smoking, um, that would be very disconcerting. Uh, But again, yeah. Oh, that's crazy. After all the songs we know, this is the one he chose never to ever play again. And why that one time in Rosemont, Illinois? clearly on the Stormfront tour. was that? Do you think that was the first
0: part of the tour? You think that's where it kicked off? I don't think so, because that's April 1990. The tour must have started in 89, right? No, you don't know. I mean, it's like the album came out when the album came
1: out in October of 89, so the tour could have started, you know, in January of 90 or something. So,
0: yeah, let me look when it uh, started for real.
1: It's a fun 80s song. I don't. How do you not play it back then? I guess we've talked about this before. You've got five to six other songs released on the album and then you got to play your back catalog there's no time there's no room and you know he wants to play and so it goes even though maybe i don't like it or whatever but he likes that song so you know he wants to play that you know he has to play we didn't start the fire i don't know if he has to i don't think he has to play shameless at this point because it wasn't that thing but he has to what are what are some of the other songs that were released
0: oh that i go to extremes yeah, so on the tour, he was playing... Actually, I'll tell you the tour stats. Like, by song, you can see which songs actually made it. Um, but he, yeah, the tour started in 89. He played 16 shows in 89, and then a bunch before this show in 90. So he just... I don't know what... Maybe he thought, let's give it a shot one time, and he didn't like how difficult it is to sing. So I he guess it said, laid there like a locks. It definitely laid like <laughs> a locks. Okay, so 1990, he was playing Stormfront at every right. show. That's I go right. to Extremes.
1: Right, he might have opened with Stormfront. What do
0: you yeah, think? so he always so Stormfront. I go to extremes. We didn't start the fire. Downeaster Alexa. Oh right, the, the Downeaster Alexa. Right.
1: So that's so that's already four songs from one album, and he's got to do you know a, a ton of back catalog stuff. So that's exactly why this song isn't going to cut the mustard.
0: Yeah, and then he did uh, Shameless about half the time, Leningrad about a third of the time. Oh my god, I forgot about all that crap. <laughs> and that is crap. It is.
1: That's not her style. Oh, that's off this album, too, right? Yeah, that was a hit that was released. That's not her style. <laughs> I, I can remember every song vividly, but I can't. I don't remember how the lyrics, how they go or anything else except
0: that little part. Yeah, so that's about it. And then State of Grace, the one time. Right. Well, that's the thing. But there it is. Oh, and, and so it goes. He played a few times. Not a lot. I said
1: I said, there's no way he wasn't playing that because he loves that song personally. So Yeah, you're talking about five songs, six songs off one album, which of course you're supposed to do in concert to promote the album. But then you got to play at least 15 more songs from your past stuff. There's no time for a song that wasn't released as a hit, I guess. Yeah, too bad. You know, he said he want he pictured Daryl Hall singing the song, which again, you know, when he always pictures other people the song, I don't know why he didn't give it to him. There's so many artists that gave people their songs he never did that he never actually did it he always said here's what i won't like and then he kept it for himself it's a little selfish
0: <laughs> yeah i mean it would been pretty cool to hear a and notes version of this song
1: yeah absolutely so i don't know whether you know this but i found out that mark rivera and i don't know if you know ian lloyd but they both did background vocals on this song and they also played on Agent Provocateur, which was the unbelievable Foreigner album that had, I don't know what love is and all that stuff. So Mark, Mark Rivera played sax on, you know, that legendary album from Foreigner. And I don't know whether which came first or who was working Well, no, that's what happened was Billy asked Eddie Van Halen to produce this album. So which would have been horrible in a sense. I mean, if you were just writing songs like this, it would have made sense. But I can't imagine Eddie Van Halen be like. So it's called what? We didn't start the fire, and I go like this, like Harry Truman, Doris goes, Yeah, I don't, I don't. Uh, hey, listen, I'm working with this guy, Mick Jones. You might want to give him a call. <laughs>
0: <laughs> but he asked Eddie to do it first before he asked Mick Jones. Well, then we would have had this song with an Eddie Van Halen solo instead of a Mick Jones solo. That's right. And that would have been
1: damn cool, too. Yeah. But yeah, Mark Rivera played on uh, both. Mick Jones uh, had the crossover appeal, and they all did background. And Mick Jones uh, sang backup vocals on this song as well. So he not only did he uh, help out with the guitar, he also did background vocals, because I guess this was his wheelhouse, this kind of song. And, and I felt bad. Again, you feel bad for Dave Brown. I was sitting there like, well, I don't understand what's happening here. Why yeah, is the guy uh, we'll call the you. Album? Don't worry about it.
0: Babe. Yeah, <laughs> don't come in tomorrow. Yeah. And they had already gotten rid of Russell Javers and Doug Stegmeyer. So, uh, you know, it was a whole new crew, not a whole new crew, but a lot of a new crew.
1: Yeah, exactly. So, well, somebody was it was the owner of the Gotham Comedy Club. He was telling me he likes Billy Joel. And he's like, I got mad at him after he jumped, dumped his crew. And I said, well, it's funny. Alon and I have been talking about that doing this podcast And what you don't realize, number one, is that he was extremely loyal for a long. Yeah, he dumped his crew. But after, you know, 15 years or even 10 years of being together, which is a miracle in the music industry, a real miracle. So he was loyal. And then he's an artist. So, you know, sometimes you just want to go in a different direction. So everybody's people don't know the Liberty story like we do, (laughs) you know, where he's just yelling at his boss every time. I ain't playing that shit.
2: Yeah. So
0: again, the loyal comes out. So he dumped them for one album. Jeez. Well, I don't know. I wonder what it would really have sounded like with those guys, but it wouldn't have been the same. It would have it, it had to be what it is.
1: Well, Liberty told Rolling Stone many years ago that this song, State of Grace, foreshadows the end of the of Billy Joel's marriage to Christie Brinkley. He feels he said he always spilled his beans about his life when writing songs. If you listen to State of Grace from the Stormfront album, you can hear that he and Christy are at their end. So he feels that's what this song is completely about.
0: Yeah, kind of. I mean, it's about like a relationship where you're trying to get through to the other person, but they're kind of in their own little world and not really listening. Like, I guess it's like that stage in marriage where you're talking and the other person's just like, yeah, uh uh-huh, right, sure, yeah. But they're not really listening to you. That's what he's talking about here. That's what he's talking about. However,
1: there is controversy, but in the lyrics, it's very clear. There you go, slipping away into a state of grace I know the look that comes across your face. It's so familiar to me. However, shortly after they did get divorced, Christy Brinkley implied it was actually Billy Joel who had problems in the communication department, not her. So she lashed back and she told uh, in 1994, she told TV Guide, just because people can express themselves through their art doesn't mean they're great communicators in person. You piece yeah. of shit. She put that in, too. It was crazy. No, I like how died. the big
0: expose is in TV Guide. Why? Well, I, I
1: know. Well, TV. See, you're too young, but TV Guide was a big deal back then. So, But
0: you read The Guide?
2: <laughs> it's from Seinfeld, right? Yeah. I've never seen a beautiful lady reading The Guide.
1: I mean, it's horrible when they make fun of him collecting TV guides because I used to collect TV guides. I collect all the fall preview guides. And then my cat got locked in my closet by my cleaning lady once and she ripped it all up. So and now they're probably <laughs> worth money. So damn it. Uh, yeah. So it's interesting that uh, Christy Brinkley uh, says it wasn't her fault. It was his. And yeah, but he said, she said. And we do enjoy that. And it really isn't fair for Billy Joel to write songs about their happy times and their sad times. And she has no say. You never think about the other side. Like, I, I'd love to hear a song by Elizabeth Weber. Yes, yeah, <laughs> it'll be a real hit. The other side of, uh, you know. Uh, Billy, you know, he says some really bad stuff about me, but it wasn't all like that. I could tell you some stuff about him.
0: Right. Just because he's writing it, we're taking it all at face value. But obviously, there's two sides to the story here. Maybe he was writing this song a little bit about himself, but never really explained that.
1: Well, the the women are never going to win or the men because we, you know, even Pink, uh, the guys are never going to win because Pink is beloved. And Billy Joel is so beloved We're never going to we tend to believe Christy Brinkley. We're never going to believe Elizabeth Weber, but Christy Brinkley, she she really does carry herself so lovely. She never seems to say anything bad there. Obviously, there's something wrong with her. She's been married five times, but uh, you would never see it in the press or anything. She doesn't seem to have a bad word to say about anybody. So it's odd that she was like, is that what he said? Because let me tell you something. It ain't like that.
0: Sorry, I got some t- things to say, but only to TV Guide. Right. Sorry, somebody. Pe- TV sorry, guide people. got to her. <laughs> sorry, New York Times, not going to talk to you. Get me the guide. <laughs> well, you remember
1: that Larry Sanders one? Where the guy from TV Guide came out and and he asked about Sharon Stone?
0: No, I don't remember, but that's, I guess, the same kind of thing. They love to pry into the lives of.
1: Exactly. So he goes, celebs. So what is this about me, Late Night Wars, me, Jay, Dave? And he goes, Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I understand you had dinner at Morton's last night with Sharon Stone. And then he, uh, makes the phone call about the Cadillacs and that's when Rip Torn knows to come in
2: <laughs> like oh
0: yeah
1: sure yeah oh we got a problem on the set of blossom I, I don't know whatever it is but uh yeah he goes oh TV guide I, I love it uh I was doing the crossword puzzle the other day but those clues I mean the courtship blank Eddie's father and he's <laughs> like uh and the, the guy from TV guys like it's of yeah <laughs> ah, thank, thank you, you know, like, no
0: sense of humor yeah you know, no sense goes. of humor at all Hi. Don't stand. I, oh. I, I
2: enjoy feeling really tall. Dennis Markell, TV oh. Guide. Thanks nice for taking you. the time. Hey, I love TV Guide. I especially love the crossword puzzle, but those those clues. The courtship blank, Eddie's father. I was up half the night. Oh, where was I? Oh, is it? oh damn it. I put a am. <laughs> Feel free to call me next time. I will. So I assume this is... Uh, Jay, Dave, me, the talk show wars, blah, blah, blah. Yeah, but you know, before we get started, I wanted to ask you something. I, uh, I understand you had dinner with Sharon Stone last night. How'd you hear that? Well, Sharon Stone, you know, we, we know everything <laughs> yeah. she does. How was the food at Morton's? Great, fine. And I understand you took her back to your place after dinner? Excuse me, I just something. You made me think of something. Uh, Beverly? Yeah? Would you do me a favor and see if we've heard from the Cadillac dealership yet? I certainly can. Thank you. Uh, Larry, I'm sorry to interrupt you. There's an emergency. Uh, something fell on Bobby on the stage. Oh, my God. Excuse me. The, uh, sure. the emergency. Oh. Yeah. I have to go. Do you want me to stick around? Uh, I don't know. Something's happened to Robbie. Are you okay? All this guy did is ask me about Sharon Stone, okay? okay. So Larry, let's I'll just get, get rid of enough. him. Sure. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I'm doing an interview in this. Hey, Larry, I heard I heard Cadillac, like, but there was a bottleneck in the kitchenette.
0: Well, Dave, it's time for the trivia portion of the show. Do you have a stumper for me? Yep, I got an, a, a fun one. Okay. So
1: Van Halen got rid of their producer, Ted Templeton, that produced every album of Van Halen's to let Mick Jones produce 5150 in 1986 and made that Van Halen's first number one album, if you can believe it. Billy Joel got rid of Phil Ramone to let Mick Jones produce Stormfront and made that Billy's third number one album. What band got rid of Jeff Mutt Lang to let Mick Jones produce their album and it never reached number one? Is it Bon Jovi? No, it's a trick question. It's a trick question. Well, that might be the wrong word, but it's a it's a loaded question.
0: I don't know. <laughs> so this band got rid of Mutt Lang and then had Mick Jones come in. Yeah, I'm just going to tell you the answer. I was going to say Aerosmith. No, it's Foreigner. It is Foreigner. That's okay. the gag.
1: Yeah, he produced his own album and it didn't go to number one. <laughs> <laughs> he produced all these other people's albums. And then that oddly, that agent provocateur with all the hits didn't go to number one urgent with, with the no, the four, four and a four with urgent and, you know, a bunch of other great stuff that that was produced by Mutt Lang and it went to number one. And then this one, which was a legendary classic, did not go to number one.
0: So uh, hey, was- Mutt Lang is good. What can you say? Oh no, he's
1: unbelievable. But uh, yeah, I thought that was an interesting statistic that Mick Jones was able to make everybody else go to number one, except him his own.
0: <laughs> it's hard to work on your own baby like that. You need a third party to really help. See it right, from an always, objective point of view.
1: I was always amazed that Phil Collins was producing Eric Clapton's albums. You know that just that pairing didn't add up to me. And but yet, Phil, jo- uh, Phil, Phil Collins uh, made that 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 one when, when Eric Clapton made it you know an album in the '80s. I I think he pushed it to number one. You know he 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 had a whole new audience after that. So and Phil Collins was the king of the '80s, and that is a fact. Wait, I thought Mick
0: Jones was the king of the '80s. What's Mick going on here?
1: What might have been the he had something to do with the 80s, but we all know Phil Collins being a front man and having his own, you know, Mick Jones is in a band called Foreigner. Nobody even knows that Mick Jones was in that band because they're just not thinking of Mick Jones. And also, I think it's Mick Jones, the name of the guy from The Clash, too. So I think there's an issue. But if you were alive in the 80s, I mean, you definitely knew Phil Collins. I mean, he was in two bands that were unbelievable in the 80s. I mean, Genesis and his own personal stuff. I mean, it, you know, Phil Collins was damn... He couldn't beat that guy. He was just, he was he was incredible. And I, I don't even know whether he was good or not at this point anymore. I mean, it was just guy just was a hit factory.
0: Yeah. And cool music videos, too. Yeah, he was. Or am really, I thinking really of Peter Gabriel? At... They, uh, they, they both, both have right. good videos. Peter Gabriel
1: kind of broke the mold in music videos. A lot of people copy Sledgehammer as their basis for music videos and movies and stuff. Sledgehammer was a not only was that album, Peter Gabriel, that uh, I think it's called So. Was or yeah, I think so, right? The one that had Sledgehammer on it. Boy, not only was that album unbelievable and breakthrough in its musical brilliance, but the videos were good as well. That's that was the stride of you know 86 MTV, and that and that album holds up where it's not a real 80s album, you could listen to it, uh, you know, now and it's still really good and well produced. And you know, Mm -hmm. I think he produced it himself, Peter Gabriel. It took a lot of time for it. So it is amazing that the guy leaves a very popular band and then it, but it's not that popular, but it takes off when the drummer starts singing and then you're like, what a loser. And then it turns out he was actually that talent. He's like, I'm going to go off my own because uh, you
0: guys aren't writing the songs I like. And yeah. It kind of worked out for both parties. That was a good win-win situation.
1: Yeah. Wait, was, it called? So- yeah. So, and then the second one, which was really good with,
0: I think had steam and it was called us. That's what it is. Uh, was this thing that so just have two-letter uh, album titles?
1: But they, they are really good. Like, I mean, when CDs came out, that's what made the album so good because it was a good CD album Be- musically, in, you know, crisp and clear and all the instruments you could hear, you know, on a nice crystal CD. You know, that was made for CD, and that's why it also was popular as well. You know, like the way Steely Dan is prolific in their instrumentation and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. this, you know, he brought it to that next level. Cool. I got to listen to more Peter Gabriel, I guess. Oh, yeah. Yeah. You know, uh, Harry Styles just uh, redid Steam. He uh, covered Steam in, in an amazing version. It's it's fantastic. And if Harry Styles, you know, a kid gets it, then, you know, it's pretty, pretty good. Oh, I don't know. Does he have good taste? He does. He's very good. We'll be hearing about him for a long time. He's pretty cool. And he appreciates his elders. He gets the, he, you know, he's really into Bowie and, you know, he, you see the way he dresses that he's clearly into Bowie.
0: <laughs> yeah. I remember him in that white wedding dress.
1: Yeah, yeah exactly. He doesn't, you know, he, he, it's a smart move in this day and age to just be kind of pansexual or whatever you're putting out there. But his music is, is very, very good. There's a song on the new album that's outstanding that I've been listening to. Actually, it might be called Daybreak. I can't remember. It's very, very good.
0: No, it's there a cover of a State of Grace. What? It's a cover version of State of Grace. Actually. <laughs> he listened to Glenn Gamboa. He was like, you know, I should do this song.
1: <laughs> Wouldn't that be funny? Kelly Clarkson just pulls it up. <laughs> of all people. So, Alon, do you have a trivia question for me?
0: Yeah, I got a trivia question, and it's like a multi-part. Uh, there's many questions to it, but they're all, all related. Right. State of Grace wasn't just a Billy Joel song. It was also the name of a short-lived sitcom That lasted for two seasons from 2001 to 2002, centering on two 12-year-old girls from different backgrounds who were best friends. The actress, Dinah Manoff, played the mother of one of the girls on that show, but was known 14 years earlier for playing the daughter of the lead character on what NBC sitcom? Empty Nest. Yes, she played (laughs) Carol on Empty Nest. Please,
1: are you trying to stump me on an 80s television trivia question? What's the (laughs) matter with you? She was also in Greece.
0: That was part two. I figured. (laughs) She also played the role of Marty in the movie musical. Nice trial on. Greece. Okay, (laughs) but there's a part three to the question. Her father, Arnold Manoff, was a screenwriter who was blacklisted from Hollywood and was one of the inspirations for what film starring Woody Allen? The Front? Yes. I got them all today.
1: Very good. Wow. That was fun. I was like ragging on you for making it, but I'm like, you know, I
0: loved every minute of those questions. (laughs) I'm going to add a part four. (laughs) Please do. In the show State of Grace, the two lead 12-year-old girls later went on to be part of what cult classic Fox comedy show? Married with
1: Children. Mm. No, so
0: this is a show from 2001 to 2002. Oh, right. right, And then a few years later, two or three years later, they were on a very, very popular fan favorite show from Fox.
1: Yeah, they're right. It can't even be Beverly Hills. I'm still stuck in the 90s, the 2000s. I don't know. Arrested
0: Development. Oh, I never think of that show on. Wait, the twins? No, one of them was Aaliyah Shawkat, who played maybe on Arrested Development. Oh, no way. And the other lead girl on the show, State of Grace, played George Michael's girlfriend, Anne.
1: Oh, my God. I love her. Right. She's around a lot. She was just in a new show that just got canceled. Bad Girls or something on NBC? I don't know. Oh. oh, isn't that interesting? Yeah, I never think of Arrested Development being on Fox. I still can't believe that was a network show.
0: I yeah, for well, Netflix. for two and a half seasons and then back on Netflix for a few more. Yeah, cool.
1: Well, I am excited since I uh, like this song, but I uh, can't remember any of the lyrics or anything, but I am excited to see if you have a parody for us today song state of grace what does weird alan
0: <laughs> have for us today today weird alan has a song called applebee's <laughs>
1: that sounds fine with me i think anything you're gonna pick today i'm like who cares but
0: there you go telling me we can't go to applebee's why do you have to be so hard to please it is my favorite place here I am, trying to get you to eat outback steak, a bloomin' onion and a lava cake, but you say you'll break up with me. Here we are, both of us feeling hungry, but you only want something fancy. You'll never eat food from a chain, but I'll try again. So darling, how about... We go to Wendy's or to Chick-fil-A. We'll get it to go and then just drive away. None of your friends have to know. Here I am, still hoping you'll compromise on Applebee's. Fiesta Lime Chicken with melted cheese is sitting there waiting for you. Applebee's, it's slipping away. Applebee, it's slipping away.
1: (laughs) Hey, now. Well, I don't know how you remembered the melody. Uh, I'm still having trouble with. But, you know, when you were singing that part, I remembered in this song, there's keyboard, like, kind of bells and a power guitar that come in that is very reminiscent of what they used to do in the 80s. And it's in Hearts, Who Will You Run To, right from 1987. Mm-hmm. They kind of have those bells, which they used to do in the 80s, you know, this, this certain keyboard sound. And uh, the part that I think you which I was like, wow, how does he even know where this is going melodically? Uh, it was very impressive. But it, it reminded me I was thinking about that when I heard the song and you reminded me to bring it up too. it. it you know, Who will you run? Like something it, it, it's a, a standard 80s thing. And that song was in 87. This was 89. And still, again, if I'm thinking about that song, then it is a total 80 song. This uh, state of grace, as we already talked about. But yeah, you for some reason, your melody reminded me of that. You were very it was amazing that I don't know how you got to where you were going. I was just singing the heart song, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it was still very impressive that you were able to uh, do that without listening to the music in your headphones.
0: Somehow with, a you know, luckily, I had a state of grace. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't. No. I was thinking of the show Grace Under Fire. That's what I was thinking when you said State of Grace, the Brett Butler show. Brett Butler, yeah. I was thinking of doing Brett Butler trivia also.
1: Yeah, that's great. Grace Under Fire. We could have called it State of Grace Under Fire. That could have been your parody. Oh, and then you could have done it with Weird action. <laughs> hey, hello. What's happening? <laughs> Mr. Brady just to kick open the door to the maid room with his shirt tail hanging out and a bottle of whiskey in one hand going, come on, Alice, I think it's more than just a hunch.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, folks, that was State of Grace. If you like our podcast be sure to go to apple and give us five stars we release new episodes every tuesday and thursday so make sure you hit subscribe so you don't miss a single one follow us on social media at billy joel a to z and give us some feedback would you like to hear christy brinkley write a song to give her perspective on the marriage oh she's good (laughs) she is talented would you have preferred to hear daryl hall sing this song oh he's good did eddie van halen make the right choice in not producing this album
1: oh he's good Uh (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I'm upset about that. I actually wish he would have.
0: Yeah. And when was the last time you had Applebee's?
1: I had it last night, but I don't know why you would ask
0: that question. We figured. Until next time, I'm Alan Altman. I'm Dave Juskow. And this is Billy Joel A to Z.